Hello and welcome to Pumped, the Inside Podcast by Schwalbe. I'm your host Tobias Bogon and I'm talking here with Schwalbe athletes from different disciplines, from downhill to cross country or from road racing to triathlon. And today I'm talking to photographer Chris Burkert. Chris is not just one of the best photographers out there. A couple of years ago he got addicted to cycling and now he's doing long distance trips. Two years ago, he cycled in 52 hours on a non-stop mission around Iceland. And last year, he teamed up with a group of friends and did a 1000k trip through the Icelandic highlands. What he learned about himself and what gets him motivated for these trips, you will find out in this episode of Pumped. Hey Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to do the podcast with us. On Instagram, I've seen that you were on a photo shoot in the desert the, the last days. Where are you right now? Yeah, you know, I actually just got home from um, from filming a little project out in the desert southwest. It's, it's also known as Navajo Lands, um, which is kind of a... Um, you know, Native American territory out in Utah and Arizona. We were, we were just, you know, making a little documentary about a photographer that I know really well. And it's an incredible place. I mean, you, you probably know it pretty well as where they've filmed like, you know, Rampage and, and yeah. all that stuff. It's a, it's an, it's an amazing environment. <laughs> so the pictures and the, the Instagram videos looked awesome. So yeah. in the last few years, We've traveled with Iceland, Greenland, and Kamchatka, many of the same countries, but never met. But it looks like we have pretty much the same fascination for the North. What is it what yeah. fascinates <laughs> you so much about the North? That's, that's interesting. You know, that's the question I wanted to ask you is like, <laughs> why have you been drawn there? Because I know for me, you know, such a huge fascination with, with why I love... Um, why I love Northern Hemisphere is is because of the drama. You know, it, there's something to be said for places where the mountains meet the ocean. You know, this this almost collision of geology where you have like steep mountains meeting a rough sea. And that's just like a special environment. And in, in many ways, it's also a very um, volatile environment where you have like, you know, massive storms. And, you know, um, but I think for photography and for filmmaking, Those locations tend to be just so dramatic, you know, so yeah. beautiful. And I can only imagine what you've been able to see there. And I can only imagine riding in those environments. You know, I've, I've, been, I've been to many of those places on surf trips um, and photography trips in general. But, you know, it's my dream to ride in all those locations. I've luck luckily been able to ride in Iceland a lot, but, but yeah. never in Greenland and never, never in Kamchatka. Yeah. So, yeah, you are... I mean, actually, you're a you're photographer and surfer, but now we see you more and more on the bike, as you, as you told us. What brought you to, to cycling? Yeah, that's a, great, that's a great question. You know, I, to be honest, it's always been a fascination of location. It's always been about the place. Um, you know, I, I, you know, quick story, like many people, you know, I got into cycling because I had an office that was close to my home and I was like, why am I, why am I driving a car? <laughs> and I, I bought a cheap, super cheap bike off Craigslist, which is like an online, you know, marketplace. 
bought some bike for like 300 bucks, you know, from a college student. And I just started commuting. And then all of a sudden, you know, that commuting took me to like longer rides on the weekends. And then I was all of a sudden seeing my home environment in a new perspective, slower, you know, more immersive, like you were feeling it. Yeah. You know, you feel you feel every corner. You feel the wind. It's so incredible. So I, I fell in love, and you know, I rode my first century and just you know rode some longer rides. But all of a sudden, I, I had a kid, and my time really was dedicated to work and travel. And and about maybe eight years later, I picked back up the bike, and I was like, you know what? Like this is something I miss, and this is something I'm passionate about. And I just fell in love again. And and I think this time it really stuck because I had a goal. I had a I had been to Iceland, you know, by now I've mm-hmm. been to Iceland 43 times. Um, Whoa. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's 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 crazy, right? Yeah. Um, all those trips were were for work or films or projects. But I knew like in some way that that landscape, you know, like many landscapes we all ride through, like it it held something for me and I wanted to know what that was and I knew about this race called the cyclothon the wow cyclothon it it goes all the way around the country it circumnavigates it's 850 miles um, or 1300 kilometers and it's a they have a solo category and I in the back of my mind when I was like training and riding and I was like you know what that would be the (laughs) sickest thing ever is to like really submit yourself to this place like what happens when it gets rainy or snowy and you can't go in a car or an airbnb or a hotel what do you do you know how do you endure and i just fell in love with the idea of of that and i trained and i trained i didn't really tell anybody and i i did that race and it was it was you know i hate to use this term but it was like a spirit quest you know in the in the realist of senses it really felt like a deep journey and of, you know, in, internal, uh, internal journey. And, um, yeah, I set the new course record and I, I rode nonstop, um, never slept for about 52 hours. And it was a wild, wild experience. And that kind of set me on a path. Um, <laughs> that, that set me on a really like a, you know, a collision course of just like wanting to know more about all different <laughs> disciplines, you know, mountain biking, fat biking and, and so on. So I'm, I'm following you on Instagram for years now, and I think it was three years ago when I started to see more and more cycling on your Insta feed or on your Insta stories, and I thought, hmm, now it's getting interesting. And um, yeah, then you started to compete in this race. And I mean, this is normally when you start riding your bike again, you maybe compete on a local cross-country race or on a local road race but not on the um 840 mile race um this yeah. this was crazy and um i mean i've been cycling in iceland quite a lot and i can't even decide what is if the wind or the rain is worse um what was it for <laughs> you on this on this uh, trip because riding your bike on iceland can be so brutal yeah you know what's what's crazy is is that for the first so yeah it's it's 850 miles no matter how you slice it and the the country is circular so you're gonna experience a tailwind a headwind everything you prepare yourself for any situation right and that's what was hard is being in california i had to prepare myself 
by riding in the worst conditions, mainly because I didn't. I wanted to be mentally prepared almost mm-hmm. more than physically, because the physical preparation is pretty easy. You just put in miles, but the mental preparation. It's like you have to go out when you're distressed, when you're sad, when you're hung, when you're hungry, when you're f- super full, when you're like feeling sick. Like you have to ride through all those conditions because you might experience that in that long of a ride. Right? You're you're going to. You're going to feel knee pain and ankle pain and everything. So the first 24 hours, 400 miles, I it was the fastest 400 miles I've ever done in my life because I barely got off the bike. I don't think I got off the bike once in the first 200 miles. It took me 10 hours because I had a crazy tailwind. Um, like it was it was a it was a mind blowing tailwind. Um, and then the second 24 hours was the most horrendous. <laughs> you know, nearly catabatic. It was like 30 miles an hour side wind coming off the glacier as I rounded the South coast. Mm -hmm. And I had another, you know, I had 400 miles of basically just heinous wind and, and then rain for like six hours. And it was, it, I mean, it broke me. It broke me down. Like I was crying. I was hallucinating. I was at, at what I thought was my limit of human potential. And, um, but I think, that's the moment that really showed me what um, what I was capable of, what I was made of, and it was it was a wild experience. You know, I um, I did that ride, and and I think that's kind of the the point is like cycling for me has always been about self discovery and about the hope and the goal of just you know learning more about who I am as a person and learning more about my environment. And when those two things can coincide, it's like so special. Yeah. So, um, do you think that was a lucky situation that you first had the tailwind and then the headwind that you thought, okay, now I'm halfway and now push through it or yeah, it's funny. It's funny because I think that in some ways you could have like, you could have been like, oh man, this is pretty easy. I'm going to just chill and take my time, you know, and enjoy it because the first 400 miles, honestly, I had like an amazing tailwind and the weather was really good. It never got too cold. Um, you know, it was challenging, of course, super hard, but, but, um, I, I decided to like push it. I decided to go like, I decided to go as hard as I could. (laughs) Um, and I, and I just like pushed it and you know, what's crazy is, um, this is a funny story, but man, there was a, there's another cyclist there. His name was um, Erikard, and he he held the the previous course record. He he'd ridden it like three times, and the guy's such a cool dude. He's an Icelander, and we we both started together because we were in the solo category. And my team that I was with was like, dude, you, you can't pass him. You cannot pass him. Like this dude knows what he's doing. He's he set the record. Like, don't get all anxious. Like this is about the long game. You got to go slow. And I remember in the first like 20 miles just being like so anxious. I had too much energy. I was like, I can't not go. I have to go. <laughs> and I, I told him, I was like, sorry guys, like I, I just have to pass. And I, I passed him. And from that moment on, I was like, okay, he's coming. He's behind me. And I kept asking my team, you know, my support crew, um, cause this, this, uh, this route and this thing had to be sagged. It's part of the rules, right? Um, they were like, you know, there every every time I would stop to pee or stop, to, I was like, "Hey, where is he?" And they're like, "Oh man, he's only forty minutes behind you." I'm like, "Where is he?" You know, and, and they would just keep telling me. And it wasn't until like forty eight hours in, two days, 
then I'm like, where is he? Where is he? You know, and they're like, he quit like two days ago. Like he had a, he had a, a small injury and he had to pull out. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've been like chasing this fake blue dot, you know, this fake like, you know, dot for, it was so crazy. Yeah. And, um, how hard, hard was it mentally and how often or how often did you think about, should I give up or should I quit? You know, I never once thought about quitting. Okay. I think that what got scary was, was, you know, when you start to feel the pain, you know, you start to feel like your knee or your ankle or your neck, your back, you're just like, you, you start to worry, like, am I doing permanent damage? And that was, that got scary. Um, there were moments where like, you know, you're, you're yawning, you're falling asleep, you're slapping yourself in the face and trying to just stay awake. Um, so I think more than anything, I just got delirious. You know, there was a lot of delirium yeah. that set in and, and that became kind of scary, you know, for sure. <laughs> so then, then you're lucky that the, the rain starts, the heavy rain starts uh, on the last hours to, to keep you awake, huh? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was funny. It was like, it, it was like the, the conditions at the end were just the worst. You know, I, I think I ended the whole thing on just like a rainy, you know, and, and you're delirious. So it's like, you have to be more aware because yeah. you know, you're, you're going fast and everything. And I'm like, you, you're kind of like hanging on the bike and you're just like putting all your weight on it. <laughs> um, it yeah, it was funny, but you know, it's crazy. Like I think in general, it seems like you also have been really inspired by these locations and um, you know, I, I came back to Iceland um, last summer and I did a, I did a mountain bike, a cross-country mountain bike traverse through the interior. Yeah. Um, and I think it was kind of this like goal of continuing on that, you know, it's not so much a legacy, but it's like a passion for this place and this location. And obviously cycling has taken me to a lot of other places, but sometimes you sort of hone in on these certain places where you – you feel a connection and you feel a desire. And I, I guess what I realized was like, although the ring road was really special and it was really awesome, it was a solo event and I wasn't really able to share it with anybody. And so mm -hmm. I came back to Iceland and we rode through the interior through like 600 miles of rock and snow and sand and, and the gnarliest conditions I've ever seen. And um, we crossed the center of the country and it was It was create the goal with that trip was really to share the experience, but also create a route that others could 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 do, that mm -hmm. others could could feel themselves. And I think that's kind of, I think that's really special. That's what makes cycling to me like a really unique sport in that you can share it with other people really easily. Yeah, but I understand that uh, you always come back to the same home away from home. Uh, Like I have the same with Scotland. I'm always traveling to Scotland. I try to go there every year and um, looks like it's the same for you with Iceland. I mean, you're getting so addicted to this, to this place and trying to do more and exploring more. So last year, totally, 100%. <laughs> last year, I've seen you going more and more on a mountain bike. And I was uh, questioning <laughs> myself, um, is it just the necessary evil for your new project or do we see you more and more on, <laughs> on the mountain bike you know, soon? You know what's funny is like I <laughs> – you're, you're so right, man. Like it kind of is a necessary evil. Like I didn't see it 
And that's the thing is I always told people because people, my friends would always be like, dude, just wait till you start mountain biking. Oh, you're going to love it. And I, I was always like, oh, whatever. You know, like I could, I love riding gravel bikes. I like riding road bikes. You know, I don't want to be like, you know, hitting jumps and doing this and that and like trying to like, you know, get super technical. But I think what I've realized is that or what I realized is that obviously the mountain bike just provided access to places that you, you never could on a road bike, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it opened up a whole new world of routes and, and interaction and, and landscape that was never possible. And I think that what I've realized is that if you want to enjoy those routes safely, that landscape safely, you, you have to put in the time – you know, riding downhill, riding trials, like ri- like jumping, like whatever it is. I, I literally built a backyard track <laughs> so that I have like, and I have like a, you know, a bunch of rad berms and doubles and step ups and like pyramids and, and, and just, you know, putting in the time to like become more proficient, not because I want to go like, you know, you know, race downhill or anything remotely like that, but just feeling more comfortable on the bike. And that's kind of the thing is like, you know, what I've realized and I love about the fact that, you know, riding mountain bikes is that um, it translates to riding road bikes, riding gravel bikes so much. In fact, way more than road bikes would to anything else. You know, road cycling can give you the endurance, but the comfort and the safety and sort of the good headspace, it translates so much more to riding like just an enduro or trail bike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... M- most of these long distance mountain bike races they are quite easy trails and um they are not that technical but i mean this route you did this thousand k's from east to west they are super tough not yeah <laughs> not just on the endurance but also on the technical level crossing yeah this, it was uh, it was w- this I- iceland highlands it's it's in- incredible technical Yeah, it was, you know, it was kind of shocking, you know, and and I think that when you add 40 pounds of weight to your bike too, it really changes things. You know, we had, it's funny because people would, would always ask like, oh, why didn't you ride a fat bike? You know, and I'm like, well, a fat bike would have been awesome for about 30 miles of the 600 miles, but then it would have sucked for the rest of it, you know, and there were sections that were like, perfect gravel roads there were sections that were deep deep sand we had to push and or air air our tires down to like 10 psi 8 psi and then we had these sections that were super technical sharp rock where you're just like weaving through rock gardens and um you know i was shocked like it was it was (laughs) the diversity is what what i think it makes you just a, a stronger rider it makes you a better person you know being ready for kind of anything yeah I mean, riding on these um, super sandy sections, it's like riding on, on deep snow. So you can't really ride this stuff. Yeah. So it's... No, yeah, it's, not at all. <laughs> it's crazy hard. And um, yeah, this time you were not alone. You were uh, joined by a uh, World Cup cross-country racer, Emily Betty. How did the team yep, came yep. together? So, yeah, that's a great question. Um, her brother, Eric... Eric Batty, uh, really awesome cyclist and somebody who's done a bunch of fat bike winter ascents in Canada, ridden across these crazy lakes at like negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit and whatnot. Um, Him and I had been chatting about doing an adventure together and this trip kind of came together. You know, they, he, he said like, oh man, we, 
we want to go to Iceland before Emily goes to the Olympics to go do a ride. And I'm like, wow, I, I've been trying to plan a first ascent east to west. It's never been done. And they were like, we're in. <laughs> and so it was me and um, me and M and Eric and Emily's husband, Adam, who's also like a professional um, you know, cross-country mountain bike racer. And it was an eclectic crew, but it was so rad to experience this with some with like such a diverse group of people. Um, and I think that that's what I really have learned to love. I've done a lot of ultra endurance solo racing um, where you're just out there by yourself. But there's something so special about the expedition. You know, you're you're bringing more equipment, you're bringing more gear, you're going slower, but you're also paving a path that that nobody's done before. So there isn't this expectation to finish in a certain amount of time. And it really is all about exploration, right? It's all about like, you know, really giving yourself to that space. So I, it's, you know, funny enough, I'm actually going back. Um, I'm, I just got off a call this morning about planning and details. I'm going back to try to do a, a winter fat bike trip from north to south. Um, Whoa. <laughs> this is, it's crazy. Yeah. Like I'm going with, um, Rebecca Rush, who's obviously like just the ultra legend, mm-hmm. total hero, you know, within mountain bike endurance and, and now fat bike and bike packing. And, um, you know, she will be coming right off of the Iditarod race, which is the Alaska mm-hmm. fat bike race. And then I'll be going with Gus Morton, who's brother of Lachlan Morton, ex pro racer and, um, really awesome storyteller. And, um, it's a it's an eclectic crew again. Like we're we're kind of bringing together a bunch of people from different disciplines. You know, I think I bring my experience in Iceland and ultra endurance. You know, road riding, and she brings like this experience fat biking and really cold weather. And then Gus, you know, brings like this you know racer mentality and training and and kind of like jack of all trades. So it's in some weird way. This sounds stupid, maybe to even <laughs> acknowledge, but I like I love the idea of this like holy trinity of like going around, going through the center and going top to bottom. And I guess just in some way, like, you know, having this lineage to, to leave behind. So that, that trip sounds, sounds awesome. Really? I mean, um, that sounds like a, like a proper adventure in the, in the winter, in the, in the highlands. That's a, that's hard. That can be really hard and rough. (laughs) It's, Oh, dude, it's going to be – I'm scared. I mean it, it's one of those trips where – I mean you you know how it is. You know how it is to ride through snow. Like if you get the crust, if you get the wind, the right like freeze-thaw cycle in the wind, it can be like you know mountain biking on a really nice road. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, you, you can you know be pushing your bike one mile and it can take you an hour. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, it's scary. It's yeah. definitely scary. But I think that that fear – that fear is critical to like doing anything worthwhile because you need to like be a little scared for sure. Yeah. So your life is not boring. <laughs> you have a lot to do. So you have a family, you have a range with animals, you have, you have a lot of traveling and, and work. How did you still manage to get these trips or fit for these trips? Yeah, that's a great question, man. Um, I, I, you know, it's each one requires something different, you know, and, and this is a, I'm, I'm stoked that you asked that because I think this, you know, it shows obviously your mentality as a rider and racer and everything like each, each type of adventure requires something different. When I was, when I was road riding a lot, it was just about putting in the miles. It was about, 
you know, diet and, you know, glycogen replenishment and like taking rest days. And then I would, I would really focus one, one great piece of advice I got when it comes to ultra endurance riding, um, specifically on the road is like, it's not about base miles every day. It's not about riding 50 miles every day. It's about that one big ride on the weekends, the 24 hour effort, the mm-hmm. 200 mile ride, the 300 mile ride, because if you only ride 50 miles a day or you only ride 100 miles a day, your body is only going to show you what happens after 100 miles. And yeah. you, need, you need to know what your, what your butt's going to do, what your arms are going to do, what your neck's going to do, what your stomach is going to do after 200, after 300. So, so rather than like trying to put in this daily effort, you just need that. You really need that, that experience of that one long ride. And then you can supplement that with recovery and other things. You know, when it came to going between, you know, the, the big cross-country bikepacking race between the interior, we knew we were going to be carrying our bikes through some massive rivers. And that was really scary. Like you, you're mm-hmm. picking up an 80-pound bike. You have six days worth of food on it. You know, you have every repair tool you can imagine. Um, and you're, you're putting it on your back. So I knew that I needed more upper body strength, you know. I needed kind of like more upper body strength of like a mountain biker, you know. So I would – I did like – I rode a little less – I rode, um, I, I did a lot of like just climbing, just basic climbing on the bike, you know, just kind of grinding out like 180 watt more like zone two climbs for like two hours a day mm-hmm. just to kind of get that because the bike was heavier and I knew I'd be pushing a little heavier gears. Um, and then I, I did like 500 pushups a day. <laughs> it sounds, but, but I knew I needed that like upper body strength to make sure that when I'm lifting this bike over my shoulders, I have the... I, I didn't want to like throw out my shoulder or tear a muscle or something like that. So um, I tried to be more evenly, um, I guess you could say more evenly yoked in terms of like muscle mass top and bottom. Um, and I knew that that trip would be slower. It'd be slower pace. We'd be zone two. You know, you're kind of trying to keep even tempo. And then this fat bike trip, again, it's a really similar scenario to like the cross country trip. I'd say even, you know, slower cadence. Um trying to kind of manage that uh, heat exertion so you're not sweating because if you sweat you know it gets really dangerous really fast so kind of like just can just overall conditioning is great heat exertion sweat and then and then upper body strength because again we're going to be pushing our bikes so one one exercise that was recommended to me was like load your bike up with as much weight as you can or put a weight vest on and then just push your bike up a hill you know, because that's that's what you're gonna have to do. It's like just push your bike up a hill. Yeah. So, so that uh, that sounds that sounds crazy. So you 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 just <laughs> you just said you had to um, to cross a lot of rivers in the in the highlands, and I mean I've been in these rivers and they are freezing cold and they are pulling on you and there are a lot of rocks in the water, and and I can't even imagine yep. how scary it is to cross these uh, rivers in the middle of nowhere where where no support with no help or or anything so was that the the hardest thing on your on your trip or, or what dude what a hundred a hundred percent yeah i mean you and, and you summed it up really well like honestly it was daunting like it was the thing that that got me the most nervous the most Like I, I was stressed out. I mean, the, the, so to kind of to kind of bring it into context, you know, like you said, there's these crazy river crossings in Iceland. Um, there, in 
you know, sorry for the backstory here, but that if you go north to south, you're going parallel with the rivers, right? Mm-hmm. But if you go east to west, you're going perpendicular. So you're crossing every single one. So this is yeah. kind of something that most people don't understand is like most bikepacking trips from Iceland, they purposely avoid the rivers, yeah. which is super smart. But when you're going east to west, you're crossing every major one. And we, we decided to go late in the fall so that the, the rivers were at their lowest ideally without obviously being in winter. If we went peak summer, they'd be flowing rapidly. But before we started that trip, a week before, we sent a super jeep out to scout one river with 42-inch tires, you know, outfitted for the Arctic, like, and it couldn't even cross. The river was so high. It was freaking terrifying. We were like, we were like, there's no way. So we built these massive workarounds, like massive, like 120-kilometer, like, workarounds so we could go up to a bridge, cross, and then come back down. But it kind of sucked because we wanted the route to be pure. We wanted the route to go by every glacier. We wanted the route to really like be through the center, which is mm-hmm. what we ended up doing. And I remember the night, the you know, and this is why you couldn't just race through the route. Like even if you wanted to, you couldn't. You have to cross these rivers either at the coldest time of the day. So it adds kind of insult to injury that you need to cross these freezing cold rivers when it's really cold because that's when they're the the lowest flow or that's when they're the lowest elevation, right? So I remember on the night, like the fourth night, it was the morning of the fifth day and we were just like, I just felt stressed. Like we made the call. We were like, you know what? We're going to go for it. It's been cold the last few days. We're not going to do the workaround. We're going to take the direct route. And dude, we we took off. It was like 4 a.m. We took off. We got to the first river crossing around like 7 um, and this was like the biggest one. And it was right on the backside of the Hofsjokl Glacier, which is like this big flat glacier. And we, we threw a bunch of rocks in the river looking for a, a spot we could cross. And we, 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 you know, we, we went about a mile upstream and we finally found this zone. And I went out there and tested it first. You know, and I'm like slipping around, you know, bike cleats on, like slipping around on these rocks, trying not to like get sucked downstream or you know, break an ankle in this stupid river, huge, huge boulders. And then I thought, okay, it's possible, but now I have to lift an 80 pound bike on my shoulders and cross it. And I just, dude, when I crossed that river and I got to the other side, I was like almost in tears. I mean, I was, I was so overjoyed, but just the stress like washed off of me like a, like a, I don't even know. Like I just was carrying a, a bale of hay or something on my back. Like I just could feel it leave my body. Mm-hmm. And so that was really, it was a really amazing experience. It felt like awesome to, to overcome that. Yeah, just seeing the picture and the, uh, the video of this river crossing, it's, it's unreal. I mean, I know how much energy in these rivers are and it's, uh, yeah, it's an, an incredible. And you're really lucky that you're, <laughs> that you survived the whole, the whole crossing. Yeah. yeah. And I think we w- we knew like we would have definitely you know gone worked around it had we felt it was unsafe and we we decided to go for it um, you know we decided to go for you know go for the crossing but man it was it was just you know it's just like that mental stress of the unknown you know how that is like you don't know how a line's gonna go you don't know how a descent's gonna go and yeah. and um, but yeah man it, it felt. It, it, the after that moment, that was our funnest day because we had like 30 more river crossings and they were all lower, but we felt confident and it was awesome. Yeah. So when the pressure is a little bit off, then you're you're yeah. good to go and you're you're enjoying it, huh? 
the lava sand exactly and exactly the lava sand and the rivers and the rocks are not only incredible hard on on you um but also on the material so did you had any major yeah. problems with the bikes or did you bring any spare parts on the on the trip we brought as many spare parts as we could um to be honest you know besides bringing a spare tire but dude i mean to i knock on wood like we actually didn't experience one major um issue you know i had some derailleur issues because of the the amount of like ash volcanic ash that was just like congesting my derailleur um i had one you know i had one sidewall puncture but i was running tubeless and it sealed up and you know what was crazy like you know not not to give like a plug to schwalbe but the, the tires worked incredible i my bike was set up with a 235 in the rear and a knobby nick and then a 26 in the front and um, it was just the biggest I could go. I, I, you know, it was the, it was the widest I could go in the back. And mm -hmm. when we rode through that sand, I aired that thing down. And this was like right when the brand new tires came out with the brand new sidewall technology, I aired that thing down to like eight PSI and it, and it performed, it handled. I mean, we were, we literally aired all the way down and these things rode like fat bikes. And I was, I was so impressed. There was never a tube put in any tire on the whole trip. There was never like a plug used it was it was crazy and we were riding across sharp volcanic rock that like if you were to like pick up it would cut you it was it was crazy i was pretty blown away yeah great so you you got pretty lucky um what <laughs> yeah <laughs> what was the the best moment on the trip oh man Oh, dude, I mean, the best moment, it's funny because we got to the end and we were like, this was so rad, blah, blah, blah. And, and you look back at it all. And I think that the best moment, that there was so many. There were so many good moments. I mean, day three, we woke up. It was the day right after we had ridden through this huge section of sand, like actual desert sand, thick, gnarly. And we got to this cab, this remote hut out in the middle of nowhere. We called it the Star Wars hut because it looked mm -hmm. like something from Tatooine. And the next <laughs> morning we woke up to like a – yeah, it was sick, dude. It was like at the base of a glacier. We had heard these stories that like they built the hut because they a plane had crashed on the glacier and they, they needed to remove it. And this was what they used the hut for. And, um, and so there's all these stories and like you feel like you're a part of the history. But man, the morning we woke up and there was snow everywhere. And uh, it was just one of those mornings where, like, you're like, where am I? I'm in the middle of this country. I'm in the middle of nowhere, like, so far from everything. And you just – you feel the gravity of the experience. And you I think it's rare to be in the moment and realize how lucky you are. And I feel like that's what made that trip special is that I, I realized how lucky I was when I was there. Yeah. When you're at home, you have a super cool team around you. You, have, you live with your family on a farm with a lot of animals um, and you have alpacas there. <laughs> what, <laughs> yeah, I do. What motivates you to pack your stuff again and again and go on, on trips and leave all that behind? Dude, that's a great question, man. I, I, you know, I, it's, it's something I've thought about a lot. And, and to be honest, there are many times where it's really challenging, where it's really hard. Like it feels impossible to leave people you love so much and a great team and, um, and, and just, a, a, you know, not only my family, but like where I live is rad and I have a studio here. We, you know, we run a commercial photography studio. 
Um, but I know that, you know, I grew up as a young kid without a passport. I never traveled. I never saw the world. I just, I was, you know, single, single parent. And I think in many ways, um, the reality is that I, I felt and still feel the need to share the beauty of the world with other people because, oh man, like it's crucial. It's, it's important. It changed my life. Traveling changed my life. Seeing the world changed my life. And I feel indebted to these places for showing me something that I never could have learned at home. And I, I think that that's kind of, you know, the bike has become one of those tools to do so. You know, I, I use a lot of other tools to do that, filmmaking and photography. But man, I um, I just really, in some capacity, feel like that's my calling in life. And I, and I want to respect that. And um, yeah, it's important. Yeah, it sounds a little bit like the photography, the video, the surfing and all that is just the key to to travel huh the yeah it, it is it's 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 honestly like all like the, even the bike you know all these things are just tools to travel and travel is it travels important but i think that you know traveling without a purpose for me personally is challenging when when travel can be shared with others when it can mm -hmm. open people's perspectives to like what's out in the world to protect what's out in the world that's worth valuing what's and and just to what's out there in general if it can inspire others to go and care about the planet in the way that i've learned to i feel i feel like it's really about it's really worth it and i guess that's like the message that i i hope my work can share which is that um we have this beautiful existence and you know trying to absorb as much of it as you can is is, is critical to our growth yeah so i completely agree with you and i completely understand what you what you're talking about yeah it's um, yeah so you have these four super cute alpacas maybe the coolest <laughs> <laughs> the coolest animal out there but i have one question where do you go with the alpacas in the car Oh my gosh. Um, so I live right by the beach. Um, and I, I, uh, I had always, you know, it's funny, like, you know, the alpacas are like super cool to travel with. They're easy. They just like cush, which is where they lay down in the back. Um, and I had always thought, you know, I'd always seen photos of people driving around with alpacas and I'm like, dude, that would be so cool to be able to take them to the beach, take them on a little road trip. And, and I mean, the, the beach is like 15 minutes away. So I threw them in my car, you know, um, mm -hmm. and I, I basically like, you know, made sure they were safe and we drove out there. And I just always thought like, how cool is that for them to realize that there's this huge world out there. And I think maybe in some funny way that kind of goes along with my, my goal or my intention, um, <laughs> to you know share this joy of what's out there and and i guess it can start with you know even my own animals in general like i want to show them what's out there and, and what they can experience and that's it's it's fun like they like loved it they like were you know they were just so stoked to be out and seeing this picture definitely made my day so um mm -hmm. this is um this is great it's so cute seeing these um these little animals in the car great so is mountain biking now more on your agenda or do you switch back on on gravel on road bike now yeah you know i i am um, i love to switch back back and forth you know i i mm -hmm. like in De in december i rode i did like three or four 200 300 mile rides or whatever like a bunch of long rides and i was like 
you know, that was really fun. And then, and then I spent like the whole month of January, just like jumping my bike and like <laughs> riding more like trails and enduro. And, um, to be honest, I just think that there's something to be said for like being well-versed in some capacity. Um, and in, in kind of, you know, having like respecting all the disciplines, you know, that's the one thing that I, I, I really love is, is that, you know, a bike again, is just this rad tool to experience the world. And how cool is it when you can, when you can experience it in so many diverse ways. Mm-hmm. So I guess more and more now, it's a little harder for me to get inspired to be like, I'm going to go out and ride a century. Cause I've, I've done it so many times, especially from my house. Like I've like some of the roads become monotonous, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I get eager. I get, I get excited when I'm like, Oh, well, let's go do a fat bike ride. You know, let's ride through the dunes. Like when I was, you know, just a month ago, I was like, all of a sudden a new world opens up because I live in this place where there's these massive sand dunes and, you know, it's in my own backyard and, and this is a totally new way to experience it. I think that's what makes it so exciting is, um, being able to kind of use these tools to experience the world in a way that was totally different or you just didn't think was possible. You know, even riding in riverbeds or like places that others would consider kind of gross or weird or whatever. So yeah, I guess I'm a, I'm a glutton for like experiencing places in a new way. And um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a wild journey. It's been a good one, but you know, come winter time, it's always hard to like gear up for riding bikes because I like to ski and I like to surf and there's a lot of other things out there that, that I, <laughs> I, I want to spend my time doing sometimes, you know, as you know. Just too much tools. Um, yeah. Last question is, um, what is a country you would like to visit on, on your bike? Oh, man. You know, there's so many. Kam, you know, Kam, uh, Kamchatka, um, I, I went there for a surf trip um, years and years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like that landscape, that environment will be really, will be really amazing. Um, you know, I, I, I think sometimes, again, like if there's a route that feels significant, if there's a place that feels like there's a story to be told, like I'm, I'm kind of just waiting for those stories to come out, you know, to, to come to me. Like, um, you know, riding through the Navajo reservation and, and helping to tell that story or um, exploring what you know, what other places might be out there and how you can ride a bike through them. I mean, again, um, I think with my work as a photographer and, and commercial storyteller or whatever, you could say like I'm always on the hunt for a mm-hmm. new story. And if I can find a way to kind of infuse a bike into that, I'm, I'm super game. But yeah, man, I mean, Norway is on my list. Greenland is on my list. Um, I'm hoping and I'm praying that this Iceland winter expedition goes smoothly because there's still a lot of fear around that. And so um, you know, we might not get the right window. The, the, the conditions might suck, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm hopeful we will. I'm hopeful we'll pull it off. Perfect. So, Chris, thanks mm-hmm. a lot for your time, and I wish you all the best for all your plans, and especially for the winter expedition. I'm pretty jealous. <laughs> and uh, dude, well, if you ever want to plan something, I'd be super down. I mean, if you got an idea, let me know. I mean, I, I can I can try and pull together some budget some funding and and yeah i'd love to do it man that would be would be awesome yeah and it would be awesome to to meet and go go for a ride so thanks a lot totally. for your time yeah thank you buddy appreciate it bye bye